It is a pleasure to be here this morning, such a privilege to be in your midst, be able to sing together and worship together this morning. Appreciate the invitation being extended to come and to spend some time with you this morning as well and to speak for you. Uh, the congregation here has been embarking on a uh, process uh, to potentially select uh, some more elders slash deacons of the congregation. I understand Brother Christian recently spoke on elders and the work of an elder here at the congregation. And I've been assigned the task of talking about deacons this morning, so I want to talk about that uh, for a few minutes. Um, it wasn't that long ago, a couple of months ago, we went to a leadership conference uh, in the Dallas area. And uh, I got to talk about deacons at that conference as well. And, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of attention given to the role of an elder. And not that there's not some attention given to the role of deacons, but there's not a lot of scriptural information related to exactly the role, what they do, how they do it. Uh, there is information. I want to examine that information this morning. But part of what I'd like to do this morning is challenge you as a congregation maybe on a different level, and that is to talk about how elders and deacons also work together in a congregation as a team of people working together. At the end of the day, I'll tell you what sermon's about. Deacons essentially are servants of a congregation. They're servants of the elders. The elders have spiritual oversight over everything that happens in the congregation. And so at the end of the day, that's why they get a lot of attention uh, and a lot of, uh, we speak a lot about that. But uh, deacons, the role of a deacon is very important in a congregation and sometimes gets overlooked, uh, maybe to some degree or another. We don't recognize or emphasize on that role maybe the way that we ought to. And some of that may also be that elders sometimes may not be using those deacons as effectively maybe as they possibly could also. So we, I want to talk about that just a little bit this morning. Let's look at some of the scriptures. First of all, I want you to recognize that a congregation's autonomous. Uh, when we talk about going through this leadership process, uh, Ty, Tom, and Christian are going to come in and interview the congregation, talk to the congregation about who you think, uh, look after looking and examining the scriptures, think could serve in this capacity. They have the qualities that are mentioned in scripture related to this passage. But at the end of the day, Pearland is autonomous. Pearland chooses its leaders. Tom, Ty, and Christian don't choose your leaders. Uh, the congregation selects its leaders. And there's multiple things in scripture related about that. Acts chapter 6, I believe, is a deacon passage. It says, uh, the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The, the congregation there in Jerusalem was instructed by the apostles to look ye out among yourselves and find seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, and appoint those individuals. So there was others that that were doing the appointing, but the congregation was looking at who do they have among them that are of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. That's what you, that's essentially, we're looking for leaders. We're looking for people who have an honest report, they're full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. They can make good decisions for the congregation as well. And the congregation chooses its own leadership, as I talked about. Uh, in that particular passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is another passage that talks about that. The Apostle Paul, 
here is telling the church in Corinth, they've taken up a collection. They said, you choose. Even the apostle Paul himself didn't say, go get Bob and we're going to take Bob down and we're going to deliver this money. He didn't say that. He looked at the congregation and said to the congregation, you look and choose who it was that you trust, that you've got confidence in, and that's the person that will go with me and deliver those funds. So at the end of the day, the congregation chooses its leadership, chooses its representatives. And so I want you to recognize the scriptures related to that. Whosoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem or those funds that have been raised. Acts chapter six, they had a problem. That's why I believe Acts chapter six really is a deacon passage. The Greek word for deacons used in this passage, I'll show you that here in just a moment. But Acts chapter 6, 1 through 8, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And then the 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among yourselves seven men of honest report full of the Holy Ghost of wisdom whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they, the apostles, laid their hands on them. So these individuals were set apart to oversee the business of the church. And included in this business was something related to... Uh, the widows and feeding of widows and somewhere in there they even had a daily ministration. They had a daily service or a daily work that was being done and he said, look ye out, find you seven men of honest report full of Holy Ghost and wisdom who we can appoint and take care of this business. They're over this business. They're responsible for this business. Now the apostles were saying, we don't need to leave the word of God to serve tables. And I know that's King James verbiage, but he, they're basically saying we don't need to stop preaching the word to take care of the daily things, these things that have to be taken care of. And that's where we need to find good men that are honest men that are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom who, we, who will take good care of this business. They'll take care of the day-to-day -day things related to the church. If we could translate that to the 21st century, we're talking about your elders being free to take care of the spiritual oversight of the church. They need help. And how do they have help? They have men, deacons, that take some of that burden off of them and take care of some of the responsibilities of the church, oversee some of the business aspects of the church, so the elders are free to continue to shepherd and oversee, and they don't necessarily have to be tasked with every detail that takes place in a congregation. Acts chapter 6, we see the result of that in verse number 7. The word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What happened when we've got a good team of people? And I want to talk about that team of people. The church doesn't belong to your elders. The church doesn't belong to one person. It's not a family owned and operated organization. What, what the church is, is it's the Lord Jesus Christ church. He's the one that runs the church. We have people that are servants in that church. And your pastors, your elders are servants in the church. Your deacons are servants in the church. And what happens when you get a team of people effectively working together? The word of God increased. Okay, The number of the disciples multiplied. 
And not only multiplied, I want you to notice the word multiplied greatly, okay? So effective leadership is good for a congregation of individuals that are taking care of the responsibilities, whether it be the day-to-day business of the church, spiritual oversight of the church, whatever that situation is, you've got a team of people that are working together, communicating with each other, effectively helping each other. Verse number eight, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So I want you to notice Stephen was one of these individuals that was set aside to oversee the business of the church of Jerusalem, okay? Y'all remember what happened to Stephen? Very next chapter, Acts chapter seven, he was stoned to death for his belief in Christ. He gave a powerful, powerful sermon in Acts chapter seven. It was an amazingly powerful sermon. Now, it's really easy for us a lot of times. We'll look at the qualifications for deacons and we'll say, well, one of the qualifications for a deacon is not apt to teach. It doesn't say anything about being apt to teach on the deacon, and that's true. I can't tell you the number of times we work with congregations, and I've been with Brother Jerry McCorkle. He's a great guy to work with, but he'll remind me. Apt to teach is not in the qualifications for a deacon, and that is true. Neither is blameless, and neither is a lot of other things, but apt to teach is not one of those. That's true. But that doesn't mean that a deacon can't be a teacher or shouldn't be a teacher at all. In fact, Stephen's a great example of that. You want to talk about a man of faith. Gave a powerful sermon, good gospel preacher, taught the word of God so much it convicted some hearts, ultimately gave his life for the kingdom. You want want to know what kind of deacons we need in our congregation today? Same thing we need in elders and every member, people that will give their life for the cause of the kingdom. And that's what Stephen did, one of the very first individuals that was set aside as a deacon. I told you the Greek word for deacon is used in the passage, and here it is on the word ministration. Okay, it's diakonia, which is the Greek word for deacon is used in that passage. That's not the only reason why I believe that this is a deacon passage, because the term deacon, if you just look it up, it's poor hermeneutics to take a definition of word, plug it into a passage. And this claim that that's all it is. There's a lot of other factors related to that, leadership passages and things like that related to it in Acts chapter 6. But I just want you to notice the Greek word is used. But the Greek word is also used for Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea. So she wasn't a deacon of the church, but the word for deacon just means servant, a servant of the church. But I want you to know that. Diakonia, attendance, uh, service, aid, minister, office, relief, service, okay? Philippians chapter one and one, though, we see the structure of one of the first century churches, the church of Philippi. I want you to notice who was present at the church of Philippi. Paul's writing the letter to the church of Philippi, and he said, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints that are in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. We know from a study of Titus chapter one, a bishop and an elder is the same thing, okay? So we're talking about the elders of the church. There were saints, which would be the members of the church, but there were also deacons, same Greek word in that place. And and we see from the qualifications as well of a deacon that it is an office in the church. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. First Timothy chapter three, verse number eight. Let's look at some of the qualifications of a deacon. Said likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. 
Now, there may be some in our audience today that don't know what greedy lucre is, and I want to talk about it. Some of these are old English forms of, of words that we don't use in our everyday language. We all have lucre. Some of ours might be filthy lucre, but we're talking about dirty money. And really what we're talking about is not really dirty in the sense that your money is dirty, meaning it, it, it rolled out in the dirt somewhere. But in this case, we're looking at a deacon that's not greedy of ill-gotten gains, okay? For instance, uh, it's not going to be too long in the service this morning. We'll probably pass the plate as a congregation. We'll place money into the con contribution plate. You would not want deacons that stole from the church treasury. That would be ill-gotten gains. What, what was one of the things we talked about beforehand in Acts chapter 6? We're talking about men full of faith that, that have wisdom, full of the Holy Ghost. We're talking about men of honest report, right? That's who you want representing you as a congregation, men you can trust. That's what you see in this office in the very first century church. That's who you're looking for in your congregation, men you trust that will take care of things, take care of business, they can handle the money, things like that. You wouldn't want somebody that's greedy or filthy lucre or ill-gotten Gains, not double-tongued. They don't speak out of both sides of their mouth is probably the quickest way to define them. They're not uh, somebody over here and somebody different over here. They're the same person. You, you know these people inside and out. It really truly is who they are. Not giving to much wine means they're not giving over to wine. They're not drunkards. They're not, they're, they're not uh, abusive of alcohol. Uh, in that way. And then I want to focus in on this word grave because I think a lot of times this is another one of those English, old English terms that sometimes gets looked at and we think that it automatically means serious and we plug in a definition. I want you to look up that Greek word sometimes. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means is honest, venerable, okay? And, and that's honesty. You're looking like the deacons must be Honest, you can change that into that word, and that's the meaning of that passage. You're looking for men that are of honest report, full of Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, okay? A deacon must be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not given over to wine, not greedy of ill-gotten gains. Maybe a guy that's a gambler, maybe a guy that's uh, trying to steal from the widows, you know, or those type of things. Heaven forbid that those things should happen, but you wouldn't want that person leading your church. Could they be forgiven of that sin? And when I say they, a person that's greedy of ill-gotten gains, could they be forgiven of their sin? Everybody go, you don't have to say it, but yes. They can be forgiven of their sin. Can they go to heaven? Yes. Are they welcome at church? Yes. Do you want them as a deacon in your congregation? No, they're not going to represent you as a congregation if they're greedy of ill-gotten gain, if they're not honest people. That's what you're looking for in the role of a deacon. So here's another form of that particular word there found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 8, an attendant, a waiter, a Christian teacher and pastor, technically a deacon or deaconess is in that. And I'm not advocating that this morning. I'm just saying that this is a strong definition of this term. That's why you get into trouble if you just start plugging in definitions into passages, a deacon, a minister, a servant. So let's talk a little bit about the qualities of a deacon. We've mentioned some of that. First Timothy chapter 3, verse number 8 through 16, beginning verse number 9, says 
that a deacon should hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. How many of you knew there was a mystery of the faith? How many of you knew that a deacon was supposed to hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience? Now I want to mention to you specifically this is not spoken of of the elder. It's still true of the elder, but it's not spoken of of the elder that he's supposed to hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. What is the mystery of the faith? Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you go, it's a mystery to me. I don't know what the mystery of the faith is. Well, the same passage or in the context of the passage gives you a definition of what the mystery of the faith is. He said, without controversy, it's the very last passage in this chapter, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, was received up into glory. In other words, do you believe that Jesus Christ is who he is? Do you believe that God was manifest as Jesus Christ came to this earth and dwelt among men, worked with his disciples, did miracles? Do you believe, he was, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the basic tenets of Christianity? And you wouldn't want a deacon that didn't believe this story. You want great men of faith, men full of faith in the Holy Ghost. Okay? They've got wisdom. They're honest. They've got an honest report. That's the type of men we're talking about when we talk about the role of a deacon, okay? And do you believe that God was justified in the spirit, seed of angels, preached into the Gentiles, believed on in the world, was received up into glory? The deacon is to hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Now, we certainly want our elders to do the same thing, but definitely the case uh, specifically mentioned let me catch up on my PowerPoint. Sorry about that. Uh, we definitely want that for a deacon, specifically mentioned the text related to the deacon. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 10. Let these also first be proved. Now you might compare that to the qualification given to that of an elder of not a novice. The word not a novice is not mentioned for that of a deacon, but it does say that they've got to be proven. There needs to be some level at which a deacon is proven that he believes in Jesus, believes in the story of Jesus, believes in the resurrection of Jesus. He's an honest individual. He's full of Holy Ghost and wisdom. Uh, he's not given over to ill-gotten gains. Uh, he's uh, not given over to wines, not alcoholic, those kind of things. You're looking for good people that you can trust to take care of the business of the church. And then I want you to notice in this passage, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. And I just want you to notice it's an office of a deacon. Now, just like we would talk about with the elders or whatever, you're not looking for somebody who wants pride of position. You're looking for somebody who's willing to fulfill position and serve in position. Uh, it's real easy sometimes for people to want a label or a title. We struggle with that as human beings. Sometimes I'm in charge of something. I want to be the person that tells people. Well, I can tell you the reality is that if you're in leadership, you're probably the last one to get what you want. That's just the way leadership works. Servant leadership works for others, not for self. That's, that's true leadership and being found blameless in those things. Even so much are wives. So there is some things in scripture related to the wives of these men. Even so much their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Now, I just want to mention to you, because the congregation's going through this process, there's a lot of area in that phrase right there, faithful in all things. What does that mean? And it, the scriptures don't describe that. 
What does it mean, faithful in all things? They're perfect individuals. They've never made a mistake. Well, of course not. There's none of us qualified. None of us would ever be qualified to be an elder, deacon, or anything related to that. So what is faithful in all things? And you're looking for qualities of a person you can trust, somebody that's full of faith, somebody that's got wisdom about them. They're not given over to wine. They're not greedy of ill-gotten gains. They're the type of people you can trust, and their wives need to be the same. They're not slanderers. They're not talking bad about people. That's not their character. Have they ever talked bad about someone? Probably yes, but that's not their character. That's not their nature. That's not who they are. Uh, sober, grave, you might think those are the same terms, but go back and look at the Greek on that. Those are different terms. But you want somebody who's not given over to wine, that, they, that they're sober-minded. They've got some seriousness about them. Everything's not a joke. All those things are applicable when we're looking at their wives. And then I want you to notice verse number 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. I'm going to give you my interpretation of this passage. I know it uh, has some uh, controversy at times for people, but I believe that's a one-woman man. That means that somebody's wife could have died and they remarried and they're still a one-woman man. They, they're, they're committed to the person they're married to. That's what that phrase means. It's a one-woman man that let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. I believe it means the same thing for that of an elder as well. That they're faithful to their spouse. They care about their partner that they're with and that that is their true partner. That's, their, that's the person they're living for. They're not looking out for other people. They're not look, searching out for other people. They're, they're caring for their spouse, ruling their children and their own house as well. And I want you to notice some of the plurals in there. There, okay, houses, well, there's a plurality, but we're also talking about deacons in plural. So I don't know what that means, children, plural. What does that mean? In the context, it's talking about deacons, have plural children, you know? So is it one deacon has a child, another deacon has a child, and therefore those deacons have children, I just want you to notice those things in the passage, okay? I'm not trying to tell you how to interpret it. I'm telling you, notice those things in the passage. I don't want to create rules where there are no rules in Scripture. I want to be careful about creating this, well, a guy's got to have multiple children before he can be a deacon in a congregation. I don't want to create rules where there aren't rules specifically stated in the passage. Ruling their children in their own house as well. Again, I want you to notice the broad spectrum of that. What is well? Somebody rules their children in their own house well. What does that mean? Well, I can pretty much show you people that don't rule their children in their own house well. That one's an easy one to come up with. But it's all that in-between stuff that's kind of the, the challenge is, well, you know, they didn't say no to their child when their child asked for candy twice. I don't know. Your definition of that may be, oh, well, they don't rule their children well, you know. If that's your, if I promise you, you can take these qualifications that are given or qualities given and you can disqualify anybody in this room. Define well. But I, again, I want you to go back to, you're looking for honest men full of Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we could appoint over business of the church. Are we looking for perfect men? You'll never find them. Are you looking for perfect wives? You'll never find them. But we are looking for people who are doing a good job with their families. 
May not agree with you on every decision related to the family, but they're doing a good job. They love their kids. Probably the one you don't want is the one whose kids are constantly in CPS trouble and the police are constantly at their door, at their house. That probably wouldn't be a good choice for a deacon. But it's all the other cases where we start to overanalyze at times. What does it mean well? They may not be like you. They may make decisions in a different way than you make decisions. But are they doing a good job with their family? Is he a one-woman man? Does he care about his family? That's the intent of that passage. And is he doing a good job with his family? Keep reading, verse number 13. And this is one of the passages I think we ignore sometimes. In fact, it gets misread at church quite often. Now, I just want you to notice that just for the fun of it. For they that have used the office of a deacon, and here's the way it gets read a lot of times, they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree. And I want you to put the emphasis where it needs to go. They that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. What that passage is talking about is a person who serves in the office of a deacon and does a good job at it. They serve well. They do a good job at being a deacon. We need those kind of men. And it says there's a reward in heaven for them. You've got deacons in this congregation. Deacons, if you deacon well, if you deek well, God bless you. That's fantastic. You've got a reward awaiting for you. We need men who use the office of a deacon well. They purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. It's what we need in the church. We need men who are honest, who care about the church, who can oversee the, the business of the church, who are not after ill-gotten gains. You can trust them. They take care of the business. They're doing a good job with their families. Their wives don't talk bad about everybody all the time. They, they're good people. That's who you're looking for. And if they serve well, they purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness of the faith which is in Christ Jesus. What a blessing to have those type of men that are good godly men overseeing the business of the church. You can go to bed at night, put your head down on the pillow and relax. Not your call, not your decision. You've got men you can trust that make those decisions. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 14. These things write I unto you, hoping to come into thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So Paul's writing to the young man Timothy. He's an evangelist. And he's saying, here's what you need to be preaching. Here's what you need to be teaching. Every time you have an opportunity, this is what needs to be taught. These are the instructions. These are the quality of people we're looking for. And I'm telling you how to organize the house of God, which is the church of the living God, and it's the pillar and ground of the truth. And there's your verse number 16 again. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of, the, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed unto the world, was received up into glory. So let's review a little bit. Deacons is an office. We talked about that in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 13. They've used the office of a deacon well. So we're talking about a, a, a place of responsibility that's a recognized place of responsibility. And it it's always comes up in congregational discussions. People will say, well, I don't need a title to go do the work of the Lord. And you're right. You don't need a title to go do the work of the Lord. But you do need a title to have the authority to go take care of something. 
You need to be given that responsibility and that task. And, and to do that, it needs a title. Outside of that, we have a general discussion and there's 60 people in there trying to decide what to do. But if you task leadership with something, they have the authority to take care of whatever that is. And that's why it's important that somebody fill that office and take, take responsibility to oversee that business. Uh, and I could give you some scenarios for that, but in our home congregation, it's things like, uh, well, I'll give you an illustration. This happened in a total different congregation. It wasn't my home congregation. It's not in Pearland, Texas, et cetera, but it was somebody that just said, I'm going to paint the bathroom, the, the women's bathroom pink. And I, we're just going to make that decision arbitrarily, as a not as a congregation, but as an individual in a congregation. No authority, no recognized authority, not a deacon, not an elder, not whatever. I'm just going to repaint the bathroom. Why can't they? Well, you got a problem if you got leadership. You probably ought to be talking to your deacons or you ought to be talking to your elders or whatever about those particular type of decisions that are being made. Somebody could be doing that with the greatest, most wonderful heart, but they'd also put blue, purple, pink, 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 pink polka dots, however you say all that. I get my dentures back in. You can also put pink polka dots all over it too. And somebody just decides they want to do it, they can do it, Right? Unless you've got some recognized leadership. It's important to have people. And, and yes, can somebody go do the work of the church without a title? Of course they can. But I'm telling you, the First Corinthians chapter 12, we don't have time to deal with that passage this morning specifically. But it talks about all parts of the body working together. And a lot of times in any group of people, you have somebody that's out here on their own doing their own thing. They're not working within a body. They're not working within a group or a team of people. And I just want to tell you, when you talk about leadership, we're talking about building a team of leaders that, that are responsible for the business of the church. And everyone else can go home and put their head down on the pillow and relax. You've got men you can trust that are making those decisions. And you may not even like the decisions at times. You may disagree with them. Talk to them about it. You visit with them about it. Not everybody else in the church. Visit with them about it. They need feedback. They need to know and all those kind of things. Good leaders are going to be listening, just like a good husband's going to listen to his wife. Good elders are going to listen to deacons. Good deacons are going to listen to a congregation of people. If they're really going to be good at it, if they're really going to work at it, they're going to use the office of a deacon well, they're going to want communication. They want to talk about those things because at the end of the day, they're really representing you and they know that as a leader in that, um, in that group. Uh, how elders and deacons work together, they work part of it. It's not just an office for a deacon. It's not just pride of position. It's a work. There are things involved. Uh, whom we may appoint over this business, there's business that has to be attended to. And who do we trust to take care of that and oversee that? It takes honesty. That goes back to that word grave, venerable. Okay? A deacon's got to be honest. Now, full of the Holy Ghost, that's uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse number 17. I try to make a 21st century application of that. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God by the Father by Him. Colossians 3, 23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. And when I say that, I've, when we look at the first century, we may have been talking about some miraculous full of the Holy Ghost but I'm saying that we use the Holy Ghost in what we do today. The word of, of God works within us and in our heart. We're happy to do that job. We're happy to be a part of the Lord's kingdom. We're willingly working. We're not just burdened down with the labors of the church. We are 
we're thrilled to be able to be a part of the Lord's body. It requires wisdom. We mentioned that in Acts chapter 6, that he's a bonus report for the Holy Ghost and wisdom. We're talking about somebody that's got some judgment about them. And there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. There's a difference between knowing things and having wisdom and how to, how to, how to manage people and deal with people and talk to people. You can be right speaking the truth in love. You can speak the truth and it not be in love. We're talking about men of wisdom. That's who we're looking for. And definitely requires strong faith. We talk about Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, preached that great gospel sermon, ultimately gave his life. Uh, for the cause of the kingdom. Uh, they were disputing with Stephen there in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 7, they cast him out of the city, stoned him. They laid their clothes down at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. When they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, they said, Lord Jesus, or he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen gave his life. That's the deacon. You want to talk about a deacon? That's a deacon willing to give his life for the cause of the kingdom. Powerful gospel preacher. I'm not saying the deacon's got to be a powerful gospel preacher, but I'm saying that's the deacon you see here exemplified for you in Acts chapter 7, a powerful gospel preacher that's a deacon of the first century church and died for the cause, first Christian martyr, died for the cause of the church. That's why if a person uses the office of a deacon well, he purchases himself a great good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus as well. How'd you know that scripture was next? Uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, deacon responsibilities. And what I've taken this from is another congregation that we worked with. It's not College Park. It's not Pearland. I'm not telling Pearland how to, how to work their deacons or tell your elders how to work your deacons at Pearland. But I am going to try to exemplify or give you an example of uh, a particular place that has elders and deacons and some of the responsibilities that are given to deacons. Y'all may choose to do that a different way and divvy responsibilities up a different way. You can definitely do that, but I'd recommend you sit down as elders and deacons, work together as a team of people to figure out what's the best responsibilities to, to effectively work within a congregation. But this particular congregation, one of the deacon responsibilities was taking care of financial things. We've Put into the office men we can trust, right? That was one of the qualifications. They're, they're people we can trust. They can take care of finances. They can oversee that part of the business. So treasury activities, record deposits, pay monthly bills, things like that. You want to talk about a burden? I think, whoa. You want to talk about like the last thing in the world Ty Fleming would want to do. Ty doesn't do it in his house. Lisa does. Ty doesn't do it in his business. I have a CPA, that, a bookkeeper that does that. I hate bookkeeping. I do not like, I'm sorry to the young parents. I dislike severely bookkeeping. I do not want, that would not be my, that would not be my forte. Could I do it? I have done it. I've even done it for a congregation, but I just tell you, it's a labor. I deal with it with Church of Christ Nigeria. I have helped with it. My daughter, April, helps with it, volunteers, and I, she is huge, but it's not me. It's not what I like to do. We've got Ray Cook that takes care of analyzing those books and all that. On my end, we kind of make deposits and all that kind of stuff, and when I say my end, April's end, she makes deposits and all those kind of things and takes care of that responsibility. That's not me. There are some men that are excellent at that, excellent at that. 
I think you've got one here in your congregation that's excellent at that. We've got one at College Park that's top-notch at that. Ray Clark, if you've not uh, been around Brother Ray, he's like the best church book guy ever. He's a great deacon in that. That's his thing. And he's excellent. We've got spreadsheets upon spreadsheets. If you like spreadsheets, we've got another deacon sitting on the end of the table. They're going, I am lost. They're, I don't do spreadsheets. You know, how much money's in the bank? You know, and all those things can be different for different congregations. I'm just saying there are men who are tuned this way. And, and so what a blessing to have them. That's a blessing to have them. Think of the things they take off of your plate on a given day that you don't have to worry about because you've got men that faithfully do it well, take care of the responsibilities of the congregation from a financial standpoint. Benevolence, widow care, uh, maintaining a list and encouraging visitation. This particular congregation, sick care, maintaining a list, encouraging visitation, helping with funerals and meal organization, all those kind of things. The benevolent side of things, and there's other things that would come under benevolence as well. But that kind of gives you an idea of responsibilities that deacons very possibly can help as a team. Maybe a deacon is responsible for finances and another deacon's responsible for the benevolent side and those kind of things. Are they all still deacons of a congregation? Yes. All of our deacons in College Park, they're still all deacons. They all have a responsibility as being a deacon. So you can go to them with anything, but they'll kind of know that may not be my area of expertise, but we've got brother so-and-so over here that handles benevolence. He can help with, with that maybe a little better. Uh, building maintenance, oversee care of lawn and trees, north lots, mowing and cleanup. Some of y'all may recognize what congregation this is, north lots. Uh, heating and cooling, filters, lights, books and racks, general maintenance, fellowship area, open, close, cleanup, stock paper goods, apply, appliance maintenance. And I just want to mention in this, we're talking about men overseeing this business. We're not talking about they have to go change the filters, but they oversee and make sure the filters get changed. That may mean that you got a deacon that, that, that Patrick says to young man Sam, Sam, can you take care of those filters? Can you put that on your list? Can you take care of that? I'm in charge of overseeing that. Can you make sure that gets done? He's overseeing that business. And in this case, in this particular congregation, They've got some deacons that are responsible for building maintenance as opposed to the finances. Now, I can tell you, one back on finances for a moment, I know of one congregation where a deacon took over finances, probably like Ty Fleming taking over finances, and about a year later, they took it back from him and said, this ain't going to work. I mean, the guy had the books in shambles. That was not his thing. But maybe his thing was building maintenance. Maybe he's good at that. And... It, you, everybody's not a cookie cutter of everybody else. We ought to appreciate those, the diverse, diversity and, and differences among us and different talents that we have. Uh, we talk a lot at College Park. If y'all have not been around our congregation much, you need to get to know Brother Dennis Sizemore. Great guy, absolute great guy. He's taught our young men a lot of things. He's, he's helped us in the congregation a million ways. But we think he's like the MacGyver of deacons. I mean, he just is amazing. Uh, we had a baptistry heater that went out, and it was going to cost $1,400, $1,500 or something to, to fix a baptistry heater. And then find, come to find out the baptistry heater's not even made anymore. The baptistry heater company went out of business, and what are we going to do? And we don't have a baptistry heater. Because, you know, first century church had a baptistry heater. Gotta, you can't baptize people if you don't have a baptistry heater, right? But 
old Dennis pulled out his pocket knife in $39.95 and, and we've got a baptistry heater. He configured another type of heater to work. I mean, the guy's amazing. And literally the congregation spent 39 bucks or something, you know, less than 50 bucks. He's just good at what he does. That's his thing. But I'll tell y'all a little secret. Y'all don't go to College Park and say anything. But he's the guy on the other end going, I don't do spreadsheets. You know, I'm not doing finances. I'm not, you know, don't tell anybody I told you. But, but he wants to know how much money's in the bank. That's the way he ran his business is how much money's in the bank and how are we spending it and do we have the money to do that, you know, kind of thing. But he's also the guy that can save you 1400 bucks. He's a great talent, great ability, and brings something to the team. In this particular congregation, they also had deacons that were responsible for congregational service, special events, uh, things like that. Uh, this particular congregation uses their deacons to make announcements in the congregation. I don't know how y'all do it at Pearland. We don't do it this way at College Park. Uh, but, I mean, literally it's their deacons in a rotation that, at, that make their announcements. Um, so they uh, gather and organize information. They take care of the Lord's Supper, supplies, arrange for those that are in charge. Opening and closing the building, that's a big deal. I don't know if that's a big deal at Pearland or not, but that's a big deal at College Park. Who's the last one out the door and did the door get locked and the alarm get set? It's big, big stuff. It's, it's not until at 2 o'clock in the morning the alarm company calls who? Do they call Thomas? Do they call Michael? Do they know who do they call Ty at two in the morning that the alarm has gone off and the door is wide open, right? So what you do is you take it off of the elder's table when you've got people to oversee that. And the elders aren't having to be burdened with those things they're, if you call it a burden, but at two in the morning, it feels like a burden. And if somebody's in charge of making sure that there's a list of people, I'm tell you how we do it at home now. I'm not telling you all to do it this way, but the way we do it is the person that's in charge of services is in charge of locking the building up. Everybody in the building sees who that is, and that's the person at the end of the day that's responsible to make sure everything gets locked up. And they're not supposed to, and there's a fine touch to that. You're not trying to rush people out the door. You know, Susie, get out of here so I can lock up. You know what I'm saying? Y'all been there? Ty has the same Susie issue, so I'm teasing Susie. I tease her all the time about that. But I'm the last one out the door, pretty much talking to Susie if we're in the same room. But the reality is when Ty and Susie leave the building with our wife and husband, somebody's got to lock the door. And, and, and it's just those things. Somebody's in charge of that. The baptistry, organizing and maintaining a church directory. All those different things that can happen within the business of the church. And what an amazing thing to have somebody that does that well. They, they use the office of a deacon well. They purchase themselves a great degree and great boldness, a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then this is an important aspect of it too is coordination with your elders. We trust you as deacons. We trust you. You're, you're an honest man. You're a wonderful family or whatever. But at some point in time, if the elders are overseeing what's going on in the congregation, it'd be good to communicate what's going on in the congregation so they know what's happening in the congregation. It's hard for them not to know if there's not coordination and communication. If you're in charge of the finances and you're supporting the guy that's preaching at the church down the street, 
uh, that probably wouldn't go over well for a congregation and wouldn't be too coordinating with your elders in the goals and vision, long-term vision of the congregation. So it's important to coordinate together. And that would mean you show up at elder deacon meetings. You know, if you're not wanting to show up at elder deacon meetings, you probably don't want to be a deacon. You probably don't want to be an elder because it's going to require some communication to do that. Uh, maybe even have deacon meetings outside of elder deacon meetings where you're talking to the other deacons about things, goals, visions, dreams, hopes, desires, that kind of thing. Communicate potential needs as el so elders can respond accordingly to help in a spiritual way with folks too. And sometimes if you're working with people in a benevolent way, as a deacon, you may see a need there spiritually that maybe some others can help with evangelistically or, or shepherding or that kind of thing. Our goal is to have men that use the office of a deacon well, that do an excellent job at it. Acts 20, verse number 28, Paul called for the elders at Ephesus and he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. You know what the elders have responsibility for? All of it. The elders are responsible for all of it. They oversee the flock of God. Their responsibility also is to feed the church of God, to teach, to train. And it's important, but you know we'll never have any elders if we don't have any teachers. We'll never have teachers if we don't have somebody training teachers. And that it kind of continues on itself, but the elders are responsible in this. But maybe you don't have elders. I know you do here at Pearland, but in the instance that you're in a congregation that doesn't have elders, you, that's the role of an evangelist to try to teach others so that they can teach others. If we develop teachers, we can then have elders that are apt to teach or skilled in teaching and, and we'll ultimately have leadership in the church as first century church talks about as well. So I get to thinking about, and I'd like to challenge you this morning about as elders and deacons, how do you work together? But sometimes that's a challenge. Deacons sometimes feel like I've never been explained my role. I don't really know what the role is. I don't want to overstep my role. It's the elder's job to oversee everything. I don't want to overdo, but at the same time, I don't feel maybe that I'm doing what it is I need to be doing. I'm a deacon in a congregation. Well, I'm going to tell you Ty's view this morning, and what you need to do is sit down with David and maybe future elders, if that be the case in the congregation, sit down with him and say, what's our role? How are we going to divvy the role up? How, how, what, where is it that I'm overstepping? Where is it that I'm understepping? Help, let's communicate with each other. Let's coordinate together. But the elders have a responsibility to equip and to train. And I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter four. And I want you to implant this verse in your memory. This is a very important verse to the first century church, and it's a very important verse to us today. He gave himself, uh, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now that's the new King James, okay? Now I like that verse because it says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The King James is a little blurrier in the verbiage. But let me explain to you why. Because I want you to know what the, who are these men? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And we know the apostles and the prophets, talking about miraculous prophets or inspiration, uh, prophets by inspiration. Those are, have, have passed with the first century. But let's talk about these other offices. Evangelists, pastors, teachers, pastors, an elder, a shepherd, okay? 
of the congregation. Now let's talk about that. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What is their role? Notice deacons is not in this role. That doesn't mean they don't have a role in the church. I'm just saying specifically given to the evangelists, to the elders, and to the teachers. What's their role? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That verse did not say it is the elder's role or the pastor's role to do the work of the ministry. That did not say that in that verse. It did not say it's the evangelist's job to do the work of the ministry. I'm telling you, we suffer from it too, and what we suffer from is a lot of denominational approach to things. We suffer from a, well, he's a minister, therefore he's the guy that preaches all funerals and weddings and, and cleans the bathrooms at the church building because he's the minister of a congregation. He's the evangelist of the congregation. He's well qualified to clean toilets or whatever. The reality is that's not what that verse says. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers equip the congregation to do the work of the ministry. Who's doing the work of the ministry? The congregation together is doing the work of the ministry. That's why it's important to be a saint. It's important to be a member in a congregation. And every one of us in this room has a role. The reason why we have leadership and elders and deacons and teachers, etc., is because it helps structure, teach, and train but the work, we are limiting our work if we're expecting our elders and deacons to do it all. You need to be going up to your elders and deacons and saying, where can I fit into this body? How can I connect in with this body? How can I have a role in this body? I want to be an elbow or I want to be an arm. I want to be a foot. I want to be an eye. I want to help. I'm a part of the body. And then all of a sudden you have a congregation of 100 people working instead of a congregation of six people working. And everybody has a role in the body of Christ. Everybody ought to have a role. And especially if you've got an idea for a job, you ought to have a role. If you've got an idea, you've got a job. And then notice what happens. The evangelist pastors and teachers equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I thought I had it underlined for the edifying of the body of Christ. Well, Y'all know what edify means? It means built up. You want to talk about building the church up? It works when everybody is a part of that body. The, the elders, the evangelists, the teachers train the congregation to do works of ministry so the church can be built up. That's what Ephesians 4, verse number 11 talks about. So what do elders do? They equip and train. They coach. They teach. They're equipping the congregation for works of service and then empower and this sometimes I think is where we occasionally will let our deacons down is we don't empower them. We've, the congregation has selected them because they're honest and they're good men and they do a good job with their family and they can oversee the business of the church, but we don't let them sometimes. We don't empower them to do it. Maybe it's not even a matter of not letting them. We don't teach them that that's what they need to be doing and let them know where the lines are, where they cross lines or don't cross lines. And where we're communicating, where we need to be communicating about the roles and responsibilities. They need to be empowered so that they feel comfortable to say, okay, well, if everybody's comfortable, then if somebody needs help in a congregation up to $250 or up to $500, I've got the freedom to be able to make this decision for the congregation without overstepping any bounds. And people have confidence in that or, or that whatever those roles are, however the roles are divvied up. But part of the responsibility of elders and deacons, and specifically elders, is to empower deacons <coughs> Excuse me, to do the work of the ministry. 
May God bless you guys in your efforts in this congregation. I know there's been a list that's been sent out to the congregation um, for, for the congregation to sign up and say, hey, here's who we think. We're a part of this congregation. We're going to select men that are going to lead us in this congregation. Who should those men be? You've got an opportunity to set up and get on a list, and Tom and Christian and myself are all going to be here, and we're not going to be selecting your people. We're going to be listening to you as members of this congregation. Who do you believe are those type of men? Who, are, who do you believe have those kind of qualities? They're good men that can oversee the business of the church, not steal from the church, not, not uh, be drunk with wine. They're, their families aren't in chaos. Who are those men? And, and can we give them and empower them with the authority to take the office of the, of the a deacon or an elder and give them the responsibility of doing that and trust them that they can do it. And we go lay our head on a pillow at night and relax because we got men we got confidence in that are taking care of those things. May God bless you through this process. I can tell you we're praying for you. Uh, these are very difficult decisions for a congregation. They're challenging. Um, they're challenging in the sense that you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Somebody can be a great person and still not necessarily have the qualities you're looking for in leadership. And they can still be a great Christian person, be a part of the team. You don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. But it's not really about trying to hurt people's feelings or not hurt. We're looking at the qualities. Who could lead a congregation of people? But we're not going to do that for you. We're going to listen. And we're going to report back to David and say to David... These are the individuals your congregation has selected that they believe would serve in this capacity. And if it doesn't violate my conscience, Christian's conscience, Tom's conscience, if it doesn't violate David's conscience, uh, then a decision will be made to move forward or at least visit with those individuals and see if they're willing to serve in that capacity. And then if they're willing to serve, then maybe you've got something that you can work with to present to the congregation and say these men have been selected for this particular role. Look forward to the process. It's a challenging process, but uh, may God bless us all in that. We'll be praying. We'll be fasting. We will be uh, in some deep, serious thought over in these next coming months as we go through this process. May God bless all of you, and may God's countenance shine down upon you as a congregation in this process. We've not talked about first principles today, but if there's somebody here with a spiritual need, certainly want to give that opportunity. We're going to sing an invitation song. And during that invitation song, if you have a spiritual need this morning, that's why we're here. We're concerned about the souls of men. And, and when I say men, mankind, we're concerned about souls this morning. And if the church can help you in some way with, with your spiritual journey, your spiritual walk, we want to do that. Why don't you come while we stand and sing the song that's been selected?